This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of introducing Dr. Mark Algera, who is in the Scientific Bureau, uh, Dutch Institute for Clinical Auditing in Leiden in the Netherlands. And uh, the, the topic of this discussion is going to be exploring international differences in ovarian cancer care, a survey report on global patterns of care, current practices, and barriers. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Dr. Ramirez, for selecting our manuscript for this podcast. And I would also like to thank the co-authors and as well the IGCS, the STO, and ESCO for distributing our survey. And of course, I would like to thank the respondents of our expert opinion survey. Well, Mark, thank you so much. And of course, obviously, we're very, very pleased to have this uh, manuscript in the in the journal because uh, we consider that this is a, a very important and uh, and relevant topic. Um, so I wanted to start by discussing, you know, certainly global disparities exist for uh, the care of all cancers. And I wanted to just first ask you, what were your goals pertaining to performing this particular study? So yeah, we um, initiated our project group two years ago uh, with global experts in ovarian cancer care. And our aim was to address the global disparities in ovarian cancer care. So also in the middle and low income countries, but also in the high income countries, because it's well known that there are uh, survival disparities around the globe and uh, the global care organization is relatively unknown. So our goal was to assess the global care and if possible to identify some starting points to enhance the quality of care globally. And as a first step of our project, uh, we started with an expert opinion survey. And today I think we will discuss the structure paper of the uh, expert opinion survey. But it's also good to mention that we have more papers coming. So the next paper will be a qualitative analysis of the open-ended respondents. And as well, we have some focus project groups that will involve the regional uh, representatives and the pharmaceutical companies. And eventually we want to take action and really make a difference. Yeah, so obviously it was a large project, a lot of work, a lot of coordinating. Um, tell us a little bit about the methodology as to how you went about uh, the, the designing this particular study and how did you carry it out? Yeah, so our um, methodology involved developing the survey through the online meetings with the experts. And in the end, consensus was achieved on 30 questions. And we divided those in three sections. So we had the respondent characteristics. Also, we had the national and regional care organization. And third, we had the individual hospital care organization. So we distributed uh, the, uh, the survey through through the networks of the IGCS, the ESCO, and the STO, and we did it in five languages, uh, but we also targeted specialists outside of these networks. And in the end, when we had all the data, we performed uh, descriptive statistics and also multi-level logistic regressions, uh, because we also wanted to evaluate the World Bank income category related disparities. Excellent. Um, so obviously, we, we have uh, a lot of questions to, to discuss during the podcast, but um, I wanted to start by then asking you, what were the results? Um, what did you find? And uh, what are some of the highlights you want our audience to uh, take away from this uh, important study? 
Yeah, so the, the first highlight was that we were very delighted to have over 1,000 respondents from 115 countries. So that's massive. And uh, regarding the characteristics of the respondents, uh, we found that 80% of the respondents were gynecological cancer surgeons. We had 10% OBGYN doctors and also 10% other specialists. And we were very pleased to have a proportion of middle income, middle and low income respondents of 54%. So that was, uh, was a highlight as well. Uh, when we look at the regional and national healthcare, we found significant disparities across income categories. So we found that there were less regional networks, there were less cancer and quality registries and less patient advocacy groups, uh, mainly in the lower and middle income countries. Uh, but we also saw that there's scope for improvement in the high income countries. And if we focus on the care in the individual hospitals, I would like to point out that um, there was a large proportion of, uh, of specialists that uh, indicated that it wasn't, it wasn't possible to perform the extensive resections like the upper abdominal disease resections. So that's, uh, that was also a big finding. And um, focusing on the barriers to optimal care, we found that there were some main barriers to optimal care that were um, irrespective of income category. So we had three barriers. That was the patient comorbidities, the advanced presentation, and the social factors. But we also found income-related uh, barriers to optimal care. So up to one-third of the lower middle income respondents said that they had uh, a lack of access to chemotherapy and other systemic agents. And furthermore, we saw that in the middle and low income countries, the treatment costs and also there was a lack of uh, access to the diagnostic factors like the pathology and the radiology. And uh, the high income barriers were completely different. So we saw there that uh, there was a lack of surgical time and staff and also that patient preferences could be a main barrier. Yes, um, lots of uh, important points, and and um, and I want to address some of those. Uh, starting with some of the questions from our fellows, uh, this is uh, from Guido Valsaki in uh, Argentina. He he wants to ask you about the um, surgery and 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 certainly the goals of surgery, as you mentioned. Uh, particularly, you you uh, alluded to the upper abdominal surgery. Um, so his question is, uh, why did you consider it pertinent to ask about the goal of the surgery when performing cytoreductive surgery? And uh, what are your thoughts about the different answers that were obtained? Yeah, so we aim to ask about the goal of surgery because it's well known that complete site reduction is the most important factor for uh, yeah, the survival of the patients with advanced stage ovarian cancer. And we uh, had the question, can we explain the survival difference by uh, that in certain regions, the goal of surgery is different than in other regions? So maybe some regions don't have the goal of surgery that uh, no microscopic disease is uh, residual. Uh, but fortunately, we found that most respondents stated that the goal of surgery was no macroscopic disease. However, 20% of the respondents had a different answer. So we need to do further analysis on the open-ended responses to find out the reason behind, uh, behind these things. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, several fellows had uh, this question, Giuseppe Caruso from, uh, from Italy and Jorge Hegel from Venezuela. Um, they uh, allude to the fact that this survey reports on patterns of care for ovarian cancer, uh, global differences and, and barriers, particularly in low and middle income countries. 
many of these will be difficult to uh, achieve in practice. In other words, for, for some of these countries, it may be very challenging for various reasons to achieve these goals in, uh, in the surgical management of ovarian cancer. And their question is, should we develop a region or a country specific or a resource stratified guidelines while trying to take action to close the care gap? Um, certainly, does the NCCN or ESGO guidelines apply to low and middle income countries? Yeah, I think this is a very interesting uh, perspective. And also in 2021, there was a paper in the Lancet Global Health where this was addressed. And the authors recommended um, that we should have more realistic uh, clinical guidelines for yeah, the resource poor um, countries. Um, I think in my opinion, we have to focus now also on bridging the differences and empowering the uh, specialists in the regions so they can uh, provide the optimal treatment. But I think in certain um, situations, it might be challenging to, uh, yeah, to provide for this optimal treatment. So you can have war or political conflicts. And I think in such cases, it might be useful to have alternative guidelines. But I must say this is outside the scope of the current study. Um, but I think it's crucial to involve the regional uh, representatives. Um, so in that way, you don't make the recommendations just based on the expert opinion of high income country specialists, but also with uh, the regional specialists. Yeah. And, and this, this next question um, is something that I think, you know, it certainly is, is very pertinent. Um, this is from Matt Wager, uh, University of Wisconsin. Um, and, and we have talked about this in, in some other podcasts as well. Um, he says, you know, the study surveyed members of SGO, ESGO, IGCS, regarding the disparities to ovarian cancer based on country classification by the World Bank income categories. Now, many patients who receive care for gynecologic cancer are just unable to access the specialist services. What disparities might be specific to this population and how could these organizations like ESGO, SGO, IGCS address these barriers in order for these patients to have the appropriate care? You know, certainly, obviously, it is challenging for some patients to even get to a center that has a gynecologic oncologist. Yeah, yeah, we acknowledge that that's um, that's that's indeed uh, difficult. Yeah, I think uh, we have to realize that in the um, expert opinion survey studies, you always have the selection bias, and uh, that's inevitable. And in this study, most respondents were affiliated to the organizations uh, that you mentioned. Um, but we also targeted the other specialists outside of these uh, networks. So I think we also have yeah respondents that were outside of these uh, these networks. Um, but yeah, I think we those um, yeah those specialists and also the patients that were treated by the specialists that were not affiliated they are underrepresented in our survey, um, and I think the possible disparities and the barriers will be even more significant. So yeah, we can uh, acknowledge that. Yeah, 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 and, and I think again it's a, it's a great opportunity for the societies to actually take some action. And, and try to address uh, strategies to increase access for these patients as well. And now this question is interesting also from Giuseppe Cucinella in, uh, in Italy. Um, he asks, you know, the rate of extensive cytoreductive surgery, including upper abdominal surgery, varies widely across income levels. 
But we also noticed that these rates are even inadequate in high income countries. Given that this may, what could be the reason for this disparity even in high income countries? Yeah, so I think um, the, the actual um, implementation um, yeah, of, of this, um, this extensive uh, site reductive surgery is outside the scope of the current study. Um, but we have shown uh, the differences, and I think that uh, policymakers now have to guide uh, the the, strategy, the training strategies uh, for the surgeons to uh, to provide for uh, for the care. Um, but I think it's also important to realize that uh, the challenges that the surgeons face or the, the gynecologists face uh, is not solely uh, linked to the training, um, because besides the surgical expertise, we also saw that factors like a lack of ICU beds or a lack of surgical time and equipment um, yeah, could also contribute. Uh, but I think that it's evident that training is a crucial factor. Um, and in this point, I think it's also uh, vital to involve the regional representatives so we can identify the specific needs for training at different regions. Yeah, absolutely. Now, jumping on to a, a different topic, this question is from Seda uh, Sahin Akar in uh, Turkey. And she says, I live in one of the middle-income countries that were surveyed and there are serious deficiencies in patient advocacy programs in our countries. What strategies should we follow to overcome this problem? Yeah, I think this question is difficult to answer. Um, we have observed significant disparities uh, for the patient advocacy groups in all income categories and overcoming uh, yeah, these disparities will be very challenging, but I think part of the solution will be in engaging the ex existing advocacy groups uh, into the regional uh, project groups, so we can involve um, yeah, the patients as well in those countries. Uh, so the countries that already have an infrastructure with uh, patient advocacy groups should learn uh, the other countries to, on how to start uh, this. So I think it's very important that we have uh, this, these international organizations working together on this problem. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, now, uh, Giuseppe Caruso asked about the outcomes based on um, strategies that are put in place. And he says, patient comorbidities were identified as major barriers to optimal care in all income countries suggesting the importance of programs like prehabilitation and the application of perioperative enhanced recovery after surgery protocols. From your survey, did you have any um, uh, guidance as to whether there was implementation of ERAS uh, at the global level? And are there any specific guidelines for low and middle income countries? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I think in retrospect, the use of ERAS uh, would have been a really good question for the for the survey, as your studies uh, have shown the importance of the ERAS. Um, but I also think that uh, the recent publications have seen um, that the implementation of the ERAS is difficult uh, because um, in a significant part of the world, we see that there's a lack of access to safe surgical care. Um, and I think, I hope that the regional analysis uh, may provide some guiding. Yeah. Now, this, this question um, refers more so to the team around the care of patients with gynecologic cancer. This comes from Luigi Davitis and also from Seda Sahinakar. Um, they ask, um, how do you explain 
that between 15 and 30% of multidisciplinary teams lack an oncologist, a pathologist, or a radiologist. Is it a resource issue or is it a cultural issue? Yeah, that's interesting. I think the more detailed uh, qualitative uh, results will be um, yeah, revealed in the, next, uh, in the next paper. But about these uh, NDTs, I think the um, uh, barriers question revealed that in some countries, uh, the diagnostic factors like the pathology and the radiology were impaired. And we can assume that those NDTs lack those members. Um, however, we also discovered that in some hospitals, not all patients are routinely discussed um, uh, in MDTs because of the preference of specialists. Um, so I would say that it's both uh, resource uh, dependent, but also cultural. Yeah. And, um, and then this, uh, this next question comes from, uh, again, uh, Guido Valsaki from Argentina, and he's asking about adjuvant treatment. Um, he says the study shows that lack of access to systemic therapy was reported by one third of lower middle income countries. Nowadays, systemic treatment obviously is, uh, is an evolution, but is ever important to increase survival. How do you think this disparity can be diminished so that systemic therapies are available to all countries? Yeah, I think it's crucial to, uh, to take action now. So uh, regarding this uh, systemic therapy and the chemotherapy, we have to involve the uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, in the regional uh, groups so we can overcome this problem. Because I think you will agree that in this modern time, we should be capable of providing the fundamental treatment like chemotherapy for all patients globally. And yeah, I think it's shocking that we have one third of the respondents from uh, lower middle income countries that uh, say that there is a lack of uh, chemotherapy in their countries. But we have to say that the challenge extend, extends beyond uh, simply delivering the medication because we also had a respondent from a mid-income country in Africa and uh, she stated that the uh, chemotherapy was available but the patients uh, live far from the chemo facility and this resulted in no-shows. So I think we, there is a need for comprehensive uh, solutions. Um, but we hope with the regional focus groups and including the pharma uh, that we can uh, overcome these. Great. Uh, Matt Wager asked, uh, were there regional differences assessed during your survey to characterize the intersection of geography with World Bank income classification as it relates to ovarian cancer disparity? Well, this is an analysis that we haven't performed yet, um, but this is a next stage in the project in the regional analysis where we will include the different countries in a region and we will also include uh, countries from different uh, income categories. So this is something that will come. Great. Um, this question from Giuseppe Cucinella kind of goes back to the topic of not having the appropriate team together for a multidisciplinary conference. And um, what his question is, is, is there a partnership between centers from different countries that could be established or perhaps involving the societies like ESGO or IGCS to make sure that we cross cover in terms of resources to address this issue in other centers? In other words, centers that have the established teams potentially collaborating with centers that don't uh, in order to improve patient care. 
Yeah, very interesting point um, because we found that a majority did not uh, meet the multidisciplinary team uh, core membership criteria. Uh, when I speak for my own country, the Netherlands, um, all hospitals in the Netherlands are in uh, regional networks. So all ovarian cancer patients are discussed uh, via the uh, video conferences. And this assures that always the core membership criteria are met. Uh, however, our um, a healthcare model is very centralized and the development of this will take a very long time. But I think it's, um, yeah, it's really interesting and um, it's, yeah, very interesting to see if virtual or the international uh, MDTs can help. So that's very exciting uh, to see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, from Venezuela, Jorge Hegel asked, um, it was interesting that 40% of the uh, those surveyed responded that they did not have a center that was specialized in the approach to the management of patients with ovarian cancer. In other words, no specialized center or referral center. Um, what should be done at the global level as a strategy to improve upon this? Yeah, I think it's important to realize that we don't have a one-size-fits-all model. Um, also, the implementation of this falls outside the scope of the current study. So it's a little bit difficult to answer, but I think um, that some thoughts are that we can promote the benefits of the centralized care, uh, the improved survival, and um, we can discuss this in the global networks. Uh, but again, I think because it's not a one-size-fits-all um, we should focus on the regional representatives on how to establish these uh, these centers. Yeah. And um, Marga, the next question is regarding, you know, the centers, as you mentioned, and I think you alluded to a little bit earlier, um, pertaining to post-operative complications, because I think that it's very valid uh, for some surgeons to say, well, you know, I would do the upper abdominal surgery, if I had the, the, the resources around me to decrease the likelihood of postoperative complications, in other words, adequate postoperative ICU care or adequate uh, recovery um, for, for these patients. Um, and the question is, you know, if, if surgeons were adequately trained to perform more extensive resection, do you think the lower middle income countries facilities will be able to manage uh, postoperative complications? in the in their settings i think um it's important to realize that uh, we also received responses from uh, lower middle income countries in africa like uh, kenya and uh, nigeria um, and these specialists uh, worked in centers where they perform over 100 uh, cytoreductive surgeries annually so i think it's important to realize that those uh, high volume centers are their surgical volume is mostly uh, higher than in high-income countries. And uh, we can assume that the uh, gynecologic oncologists are well-trained there and proficient in handling the complications. But um, yeah, as well in this, there's no one-size-fits-all uh, solution uh, because I think it's also important to notice that in these countries, you also have uh, the low-volume centers with the undertrained personnel. And I think, yeah, then it's not a good idea to do the, um, the, the extensive resections over there. Um, but uh, once again, the regional approach by um, yeah, getting everyone together from the region, I think that's the most important. Yeah. And uh, Mark, just have uh, two, two more questions for you. And one, one of them 
is, you know, we're focusing a lot on like, how much surgery are they doing? How well are they doing the surgery? How everyone's trained to do the surgery? Uh, how can we reduce the complications of the surgery? But there are four randomized trials demonstrating no difference in outcomes between neoadjuvant chemotherapy and primary cytoreductive surgery. So the question is, would it not make sense for low and middle income countries to rely more on neoadjuvant chemotherapy rather than focusing on poor surgery or inadequately performed surgery? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think it uh, might be a political discussion. Um, I think the cornerstone of treatment um, is cytoreductive surgery for patients with advanced stage ovarian cancer. So we have a global duty to train uh, the gynecologists, the surgeons to perform these uh, procedures. But uh, it's true that an optimal care is a combination of the chemotherapy and the surgery. And if the op options are there that you either perform a or surgery with leaving bulky disease, and um, you have the alternative to give the new adjuvant chemotherapy, of course, you should uh, give the uh, new adjuvant chemotherapy. But I think, um, yeah, we mainly focus on the access to the chemotherapy and the access to the, uh, yeah, the, the surgery, and that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And then, Mark, this last question comes from Luigi De Vitis, and it's uh, sort of like a summary question. And he says, you stated that Global Equality in Ovarian Cancer Care Project aims to, quote, achieve equality and equity in healthcare for all women with ovarian cancer. Now, do you think this is truly achievable? What will it take to get there? What are the three actions that you would prioritize to address the needs of upper, middle, and lower middle countries, income countries? Um, since they will require additional resources, what strategies would you suggest to raise those resources? Yeah, we think that truly achieving this equality and equity in ovarian cancer care is very challenging. However, we believe uh, that we really have to try. So uh, it's undeniable that we have to do better and uh, the time for action is now. So the three actions that I would uh, prioritize uh, would first be that uh, we should improve the availability of the diagnostic factors. So the pathology, the radiology, but also the genetic service uh, um, access. Uh, we should improve that um, because these main barriers um, are, are present in the lower middle income countries. And um, these should be tackled. And I think the engagement of the regional representatives is, uh, is really important. So. Um, we have to identify uh, the regionally specific needs because it could be a lack of equipment. Do they need a CAT scan or an MRI scan? Uh, or is it a lack of personnel? Uh, so I think a tailored regional approach is essential. So second, I would say that um, we observed that many ovarian cancer surgeons have, um, yeah, have declared that they are unable to perform the extensive surgeries like the upper, upper abdominal surgeries. So we have to explore the reasons why. And we will do this in the qualitative analysis, but also in the regional analysis, um, because it can be due to the training of the surgeons, but also to the facilities at the hospital, the theater uh, availability in the high income countries and other factors. So I think it's really crucial to uh, look at it uh, regionally. And third, and uh, yeah, I want to end with this one because it's so important. I think um, we have to improve the availability of the uh, chemotherapy in the 
lower middle income and the lower income countries. So it's essential to include uh, the pharma companies and as well the project groups, the regional project groups. So we want to facilitate discussions with uh, these representatives and the pharma companies to eventually facilitate the treatments. And as I mentioned, uh, the challenge extends beyond just delivering the medication. But I think this is essential to eventually uh, bridge the care gap. Well, thank you so, so much, Mark Algera from the Dutch Institute of Clinical Auditing in Leiden, Netherlands. Uh, thank you for submitting this manuscript to our journal. Uh, congratulations for all this immense uh, amount of work and, and congratulations for getting such a high rate of response on, on a survey. Um, and uh, most importantly, for raising awareness uh, to improve the care of patients with ovarian cancer. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Ramirez.